You are listening to Word by Word Conversations with writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests are Patricia V. Davis, sharing readings from Cooking for Ghosts, the first of a mystery trilogy set on board the HMS Queen Mary, and Joanne Rosen with her short story collection, What They Don't Know. So stay tuned for a continued conversation with these talented writers on KRCB-FM's Word by Word. fortunate to greet the new year with two writers featured in an upcoming collaboration entitled Copperfields Presents Redwood Writers Fiction 2017, starting January 24th and every fourth Tuesday for the following six months. Talented writers will share readings from their books from 6 to 7 at the Montgomery Village Copperfields Bookstore. Patricia V. Davis's new novel, Cooking for Ghosts, is the first part of a trilogy set aboard the cruise ship, the RMS Queen Mary which has become a convention center in the Long Beach Harbor. While Joanne Rosen's fiction collection, What They Don't Know, anthologizes short pieces that first appeared in literary journals like the Somerset Review, the Dickens, and the Florida Review. Patricia V. Davis is familiar to word-by-word fans from the revelation she shared from her first bestseller, Harlot Sauce, a memoir of food, family, love, and loss in Greece. A former English teacher and proprietor of a bookstore in Greece, Patricia holds a master's degree in creative writing and education. She says that all of her writings share the universal theme of what she likes to call female dynamism, a term which signifies women taking positive action to support each other and better the world around them. She, quote, it's what I believe in, which is why I founded the Women's Power Strategy Conference, which is held in Marin and Sonoma counties. And thank you, by the way, for inviting me. I'm well, really excited to be back on again. <laughs> right. The setup is that I have several questions that I want to ask you about. Why a ghost mystery? Okay. So let me know. Okay. Um, the reason for it is going to be very hard to believe. Nobody in the family believes it. 
Um, essentially what happened was I was on the Queen Mary for another reason altogether. In fact, it was because uh, Maria Shriver had invited me to her women's conference back in 2007 when she was the First Lady of California. Uh-huh. And it was a great honor for me. I was very excited about it because they put me on the writing team for this conference. Um, if I'm being honest, I know they didn't. I wasn't their first choice <laughs> because by the time they asked me, all the rooms at the uh, convention center in Long Beach were booked. Ah. And so I had to find another hotel. And the closest one was the Queen Mary. And um, my Long Beach friends and uh, my ship aficionado friends are probably going to be upset to hear me say that up until that time, I did not know anything about the ship. I didn't know the history. I didn't know uh, that, you know, why she was down there, anything. Mm. My concern was the conference. And so when I got on this ship, uh, that was my focus, and very odd things started happening. In particular, um, my reading glasses kept moving around the room. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I saw them float, which is why I didn't catch on to this at first, but they were, they were. I knew exactly where I'd placed them the first time, and when they were moved, I thought, oh, I guess I didn't place them there. But by the third time, when they were actually set, on the pillow, on the bed, I thought someone was playing some kind of a joke. I thought maybe there was another um, door into the cabin. And it turns out that none of that was true. And then I started paying more attention to the different things that were going on on the ship. And I remember calling my husband and saying, you know, I think this ship is haunted. (laughs) And, of course, he didn't believe me. And um, if you remember, if anyone who was in California at the time will remember that, first of all, there were terrible fires going on and that it was also uh, taking place in October, her conference. And when I was flying back up to San Francisco after the conference was over, I looked in the, the, the seat uh, back for the magazine that they have, you know, the online magazine. And uh-huh. being that it was October, they had a Halloween um, Halloween uh, uh, edition, and they were talking about the top ten most haunted places in the United States. And there it was, the Queen Mary. Uh-huh. So that was kind of mind-boggling. And they went on to talk about a little girl who had drowned on the ship, and who they believed was still on the ship, and so on and so forth. And that's when I put it all together in my mind. I said, well, stealing uh, glasses seems like something a little girl would do. Mm-hmm. And so, as odd as this seems, after that, the whole story just started to spring into my head, like fully formed almost. And um, the characters, their lives, everything about them. And they would actually talk to me while I was trying to sleep. And I would get up at night, and I would have to write some of these things down so I wouldn't forget because everything was so detailed. And so um, that's how the story came came about. All right. Well, you start off literally with a mystery uh, murder yes. on deck. 
uh-huh. and this very, very evil man who's yes. lured this poor thing uh-huh. uh, and uh, tracks her down and manages to throw her overboard, except for her shoe, of course. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Which, which will come back later to haunt him, so to speak. <laughs> well, we don't know that for sure. I mean, that's uh, been saved for an epilogue, which ah. I may or may not write or have someone else write just for fun. Has he, I mean, it's so many years later when everything comes out, is he still alive or has he already passed? Who knows? So, so all right. So how many ghosts uh, are on board that you write about? Um, let's see. Well, I guess if I if I actually revealed that, it might give um, too okay. much of the story okay. away. But I think that... Um, Bigger than a bread box? <laughs> I think that... Um, the best part is discovering who's the who's the ghost and who isn't because they kind of appear uh, in a very corporal way to the main characters. Mm-hmm. So. What was the most fun? What chapter did you enjoy the most writing? Well, I loved I loved writing the whole thing from start to finish. Okay, I, I really did. It was it was really a pleasure to write this. I I don't think I've ever had as much fun writing a book as as this one. But um, one of the best things that happened was um, I was having dinner with a friend in Henderson in mm-hmm. Nevada, and this friend was, he's a big Queen Mary fan and very much believed that ghosts exist and that things can be haunted and so forth. And what he did was he said, you know, you know what would really be interesting uh, if... Uh, Remember the cabin call boxes? What if they started working again? Mm. And as soon as he said that, that was just exactly what I needed to finish out uh, one of the, you know, one of the main. Um, what do you call that? Not, I guess the Aegon. I guess you'd call it an Aegon. And so uh, that was fun. That was fun writing that chapter. Well, you need. I think you need to let our listeners know that you had set it up ahead of time by talking about how the call boxes. Were still on the wall, but they didn't work because it was just uh, right. Know. They were still on the wall, but they did not work, and right. that and that actually happens to be uh, true. The facts about the Queen Mary that are in the book are true, and uh, with uh, if you look in the author's note, I actually will uh, explain what the exceptions are. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, um, uh, about the um, the soldier, everything everything that happened had happened, but I just change them just a bit so that they would fit in the timeline of the story. Even um, even the um, conference was, uh, you know, the year that the story takes place, which was 2004, when actually it was 2007 that right, I was down right. there. So um, it's, that's, uh, that's talked about in the, in, the, um, in the author's note at the back of the book. Good. Is there something you'd like to read from the book to... Uh... Get a flavor of it. Hmm. hmm. Did you have a? Did you have a a piece that you wanted to select? No, no. I'm. I'm seriously. I'm going to let you do that. You must have something that. that huh. uh, okay. The well, trouble gonna, is, my yeah. I have a Kindle copy, and then and I've noticed the page numbers don't make any sense. Is that right? Yeah, they're okay. about ten pages. Well, I don't know why, but anyway, instead of going from one to a hundred, yeah. it goes from one to a thousand. So I don't know why. Well, that's interesting. I yeah. should definitely make a note of that and, and let them know. So I can't say, look at page such and such, because I don't know which page it is. 
Hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay, well, um, let me just think about this for a minute. Okay. I'm trying to... Um, no suggestions, huh? Because I... Well, you like you like the part with uh, the young couple, I know, but I don't know if you want to share that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could read the beginning of it. Why not? That's always a good start. Okay. Okay. Uh, so let's see. I will read up until yeah. I'll read the the the, the prologue. Okay. The prologue. Okay. Somewhere in the Atlantic, nineteen forty nine. In an ocean as dark and still as death, the queen floated. The cis-shaped moon engulfed in mist gave off only a dank tinge of light. Waves skimmed lazily along the queen's sides like the careless caress of an indifferent lover. She was only 15 years old, but she'd already witnessed so much misery, war, love lost to tragedy, and once, a vile murder that had left a stain on her no sea she traveled had ever washed away. Now she was about to witness another. The killer's rage was silent and patient, and yet she could feel it. In desperation, the queen willed her foghorn to blow. Under the cover of the dimly lit stairwell on the deserted sports deck, the sailor waited. He timed it well. The watch wouldn't make his rounds appear until after it was over. Long before he could see his prey, he heard the click of her heels on the planked wood, echoing off the water as she approached. He pressed himself back further into the darkness as she came into view, her eyes focused on what he'd stolen to lure her, carefully placed so that it would be visible to her while he remained hidden. As she bent to pick it up, he stepped swiftly behind her and clamped his forearm around her throat, cutting off her screams and her breath as he pulled her into the shadows. I think that's enough, right? I think that's <laughs> enough, yeah. Okay, well, I think that, that'll get people uh, running out and picking up copies. You are going to be at Copperfields on the 24th. That's right. right. Uh, from 6 to 7 at the Copperfields in um, Montgomery yeah. Village. That's right. 6 to 7.30, I oh, think. Oh, I don't think so. They close the door at least every other time. They've locked the oh, door Oh, really? At seven. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So check it because they, they are, I don't know, they must be on a time clock or something. Oh, okay. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to being in the Copperfields again. It's one of my favorite places, and I hope I'll get to see uh, some of my Hello, Redwood Writers. It's a long drive from there to here, mm-hmm. but um, we're definitely looking forward to it. Um, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. One other piece of information: the Copperfields is relocated in the same shopping center, so don't, oh, okay. don't think well, you know where you're going. Know. Make you know it's over on the the backside now. So oh, yeah, okay, yeah, That's very good to know. Thank All you. important information. Well, we'll yeah. see you then. I thank you so much for talking to Word by Word once more. Thank you so much for inviting me. It okay. was always It's always a pleasure. Great. Take care.
Born in Canada, Joanne Rosen's family relocated to Miami when she was 13, and she earned her B.A. and M.A. in English literature from the University of Miami. Spending most of the 70s trampling across Europe and the United States by thumb and camper van, for the next 30 years she lived and worked in Oregon, Germany, and San Francisco. She now resides in Petaluma and is a self-employed writer, book and web designer, and small press publisher. Joanne is also co-editor of the Sonoma County Library's Literary Update. Joanne, I want to welcome you to Word by Word. Thank you, Gil, for inviting me. There are 18 different stories in this collection, several of them told by Nora. I think there are four or five or six. The daughter of a stern Toronto grocer. Others shift locales to the racetrack at Hialeah, a Northern California campground, or the Harmony Village retirement community. So my first question is, have you placed these stories in the book in a particular order with a specific purpose in mind? Well, I, I actually, um, I was at a loss, to tell you the truth, I mean, <laughs> I, I, how, to, how to place these stories. <laughs> and uh, a very good friend and writer herself, a novelist, Rama Veltfort, um, helped me with the collaboration. She, she basically made the selections, and I maybe disagreed, and we pushed things around. And uh, I liked what she came up with mm-hmm. um, because, uh, well, it, it's there's no the, – the Nora stories are all over the book. Most of them are right. lumped at the front, and those right. are obviously the ones that are um, closest to being uh, – to my life, drawn from my life, though they are fiction, and a lot of it's invented. <laughs> but Nora, it, Nora can be taken as my alter ego. Mm-hmm. And, so – um, basically, you had another person put this compilation together. Yes. So, did she have other stories of which were not included? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, I had your uh, next volume, right? Uh, no, I don't. Well, possibly um, some of those. I'm, 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 I'm a perfectionist. I and so is she. We just rejected a lot of them, and I'm still working on those. My next volume will be something else altogether. I think. Um, those. Those, those stories might see the light of day. Well, they go back to, to what? Let's see, I'm trying to remember the date of the first one when it was published. Was that in the... 86. 86, yeah. yeah. So you kind of had a revisit with these. Yes, and I did um, I did revise them. I, this, ah. the, the title story, I, I know I, I, I cut uh, a lot out of that. But after 30 years, you know, you look at something and... You can make it better. I can make it better than that. Right, uh, right. Well, can you share with us a little part of this? This is set in in uh, Toronto on a Halloween evening, right? And um, Nora's father, as I said, is a, is a small grocery store owner, mm-hmm. and he sells all the things packed up in the in the aisles as she walks through the place. And uh, what I found was fascinating is, you know, we always what I was used to is you go door to door and you knock on the door and they come out and stand on the porch. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, well, who are you? Oh, are you Princess Leo or whatever it is? And then hand out the candy, but not in Toronto. Well, they, they, that happened, too. They go trick-or-treating uh-huh. after this, but there there was this tradition of the uh, shell-out box. which Shell-out. Shell-out. S-H-E-L-L-O-U-T. So yep. that's a command. It's a command. Right. Okay, so I'll, I'll read a, sec- sure, a section from that. That'd be great. It'd be in the early 50s in Toronto. Down at the end of Lappin Avenue, a fat orange moon is rising over the Toronto Dominion Bank. 
Clusters of ghosts, witches, pirates, gypsies, cowboys, supermen, and Indian chiefs head for our grocery store. The ones already gathered begin the chant. Shell out, shell out, or we'll break your windows inside out. The sidewalk in front of our store is packed with hollering kids. I squirm through looking for Maggie. There she is, poking her rubber knife into the neighbor's fence where the vines with pink and purple flowers hang over on, the, on our side. She has a bright red bandana wrapped around her black hair and dangly earrings. I drop some of the candy my father gave me into her bag, and she gives me a lopsided grin. Her teeth are growing in crooked. The hollering turns to cheers. It's my father on the front step holding the shell-out box. He tosses candy kisses and pennies by the handful into the air, each time in a different direction. Everyone except Maggie and me scrambles on the sidewalk, pushing and shoving and shrieking. Fingers get stepped on. The smaller kids run to their mothers. They pick the sidewalk clean and take off for the drugstore on the next block. My father spots us. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, he says, and goes back into the store. What does that mean, Maggie wants to know. I think it means I shouldn't mess around in my gown. And Maggie says likewise about her skirt, which is red with purple flowers on it and a stiff crinoline underneath. Maybe we should mention the gown she's wearing is her mother's her wedding, mother's wedding gown, gown, right? Which Cut. is not what we think of as a wedding gown because it, it was during gray. the war and it was gray and, and short skirt, right? Know. And the mother doesn't like the wedding gown because it wasn't a proper wedding gown. Ah. So out goes the kid with the wedding gown on, and that's something that actually happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go down the block to watch Mr. McCarthy, the druggist, shell out from the roof of his building. While we're waiting, Maggie goes up to Joey McCarthy. He's standing in the middle of the crowd, and she says, cross my palms with silver, I'll tell your fortune. Go on, silver, what are you talking about? Sounds like he's interested, though. He's wearing a paper skeleton, the ready-made kind, doesn't cover his bushy red hair and big ears. Maggie, she really looks like a gypsy. I'll give you my wax lips, he says, poking around in his bag. They're for girls. Wax lips. Bright and red. You chew them like gum afterwards. Cost three cents. Maggie's waiting with her hand out. First tell my fortune, Joey says. She stands on tiptoe and whispers in his ear. He pushes away and puts the lips back in his bag. I can't hear what they're saying. Everyone's shouting, shell out, shell out. That's Joey's father up on the roof, a long shadow leaning over, flapping his arms like a stork. The trick-or-treat box is on the edge. Suddenly, the entire box falls down, smack in the middle of all the kids, but not on anyone's head. The girls scream. Joey and his friends dive on the box and pile up in a heap of arms and legs. Mothers yell and run up and down and into McCarthy's drugstore. Did he throw it? Did he trip? Was he drunk again? Was it a trick instead of a treat? Come on, let's go, Maggie says. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. said that really happened, the, the box falling down to the yeah, side. Yeah, I remember, I remember that from, yeah. like, when I was eight years old or something. <laughs> but, not, but, you know, I made up all the rest of this stuff. Sure, this. sure. Now, is that the oldest story in here? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and basically, I put it in the book because for the title because I thought it was the best title. <laughs> Well, what we well, find just, out later is there's all kinds of, actually, all through this story, there's all kinds of things they don't know who they, they are. Exactly. It fits. It they fit. is the parents, mm-hmm. uh, her other friends, right? the people she meets on the street, the other adults. There's a lot of people who don't know things that these two girls, and mm-hmm. Nora in particular, keep secret. 
I think that's true for a number of stories in the book. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's a, I guess it would be a theme. Theme that goes through. Right? People, yeah. people don't know what other people are up to. And they would probably be surprised. Yeah. If, because you open up with her on the roof uh, picking the slate tiles off. Yeah. And having them slip down. Um, They're not supposed to be climbing no, the, the garage roofs. No. They're bad girls. Yeah. yeah. It's dangerous. And they get into a peck of trouble. They do. More than they anticipate. Right. Some some of it reads like, um, you know, the Christmas story, uh, the one where the, the boy gets tormented by the other kids on the street. and He wants a Red Rider BB gun, and then he's got to take care of him. Remember that movie? No, you don't look like oh, you know what, it. What yeah. movie was that? It's called The Christmas Story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Be worth finding because yeah. it's got some similarities. The... Um, there's a real sense of time and place in this story. It's very um, vivid. There's also a real sense of... Um, i trying to think of the word that I should use here. Fate? Fate. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, not good necessarily mm-hmm. fate. Mm-hmm. Things are going to happen that you have no control of. That's what the child uh, uh, senses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. It, it's the beginning of the end of, of childhood. That's, that's how I, uh, how the I see it. The beginning of the end of childhood. Yeah. yeah. Of innocence. Of innocence. Although she's not completely, uh, she does like to have fun times alone in the bed. Oh, sure. Sure. Oh, yes. Well, right. Yeah. So. You wanted to share something from another story that's set, since we jump around in oh, your okay. stories. You wanted to share one that's set in Sonoma County, right? Uh, yeah, I could do that, and this will be... Um... Well, let's before we go, okay. though, all right, there's one story that really, really surprised me. What's that? Well, I'm reading along, and I'm and, I, and my, my book is, you know, even though I'm obviously not a girl, it's an 11-year-old girl mm-hmm. point of view. So I'm reading along, and you've got the, approximately the same age person. And she's having experiences, and I'm having no problem with it, until we come to the fact that the girls need to find out if, in fact, their teacher is a natural blonde. Oh. Oh, yes. It's called Looking Up Miss Thompson's Skirt. And I don't know whether you want to read from that or just tell us the incredible setup for it, which is... just caught me by surprise. Did it? Yeah. What was surprising? Well, that girls would... Think up the idea of putting mirrors on somebody's shoes I, to look up the skirt. Yes, that's right. It's it's the uh, friend of the narrator who's yeah. uh, of a scientific cast of mind, and right. she decides, well, this is one way to find out. Well, now, I, mean, I don't, you know. It was very important. Of course, I'm not sure it worked today, but. No. no. <laughs> 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 We're in a certain, certain time and place in here, right? Yeah. This would be... Um, Mid-50s, mid Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Trying to look for something to read. Let's see what page is that. Huh. Well, Miss Thompson, what a character. She is quite a character. I, you know, She's I, one of those wielding the ruler yes, as a weapon. Very strict. She, yeah. You know, I did have a teacher like that. And um, You did have a teacher I, like I that. I did in sixth grade yeah. have, have, have a teacher like that. And mm. um, she really... I guess I was kind of teacher's pet. So she didn't whap you with the ruler. She she never 
No, she did not. Um, but that that did happen in schools in Toronto. Uh, yeah, in fact, you make time, a comment, I, even though it's against yeah. the, the policies. It yeah, happen. it did happen. Yeah. I remember uh, that happening in first grade. I uh, almost got whacked with a ruler, and I burst into tears. And the teacher looked at me and said, all right, that'll be enough. And then I, I cried all the harder because I was so ashamed that I had, you know, I had been such a wuss, I guess. <laughs> what I like is the fact is you're reading, uh, you, uh, the person, the I'm sorry, I can't say you. The narrator is reciting from Hiawatha, you know, by the shores uh-huh. of Gitchigumi, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and we all had to do that. Do we you? learned poems. Oh, yeah. And um, I don't know if that happens in schools today, but still remember I should probably not. Smith, the mighty man, see, with large and sinewy hands. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> Shall I just read the first page or so page of Page or so, sure. Yeah, I What's well, down to where to the... the mirrors come up? Um, that's a little bit later. Yeah. Because that's pretty cool. I could skip okay. uh, to that. That'll work. Uh, I'll start with that. I then... think you get an idea of Miss Thompson there right now. Oh, yeah I, like, yeah. I always like this beginning. Miss um, Thompson wraps her ruler sharply on her desk to get our attention. She taps it. She waits for us to answer. She strokes it absentmindedly. If it weren't against the law in Canada, she would strap us all, especially Dennis Moriarty. She would hang him from his thumbs if only she could. Moriarty is a skinny, red-headed kid with a wild cowlick and Elvis Presley sideburns. No one calls him Dennis except Miss Thompson and maybe his mother. Right, you're wrong. Miss Thompson snaps. Wrong, I'm right, says Moriarty, high up in his nose, mocking her English accent. Miss Thompson grips the ruler in a clenched fist and stares at him in disbelief. Dennis, you are a barbarian, she says, and she sends him to the principal, who is allowed to strap the hard cases. Mm -hmm. There you go. I recite 144 lines from Hiawatha's sailing for the memory work assignment. Like a yellow leaf in autumn, like a yellow water lily, on and on and on. You have I, to do it like this. Da 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 da. Right. That's how it goes. And the wigwam of Nokomis, right? They go into comas. My classmates look astonished, then bored. Their eyes glaze over. Finally, Hiawatha gets his canoe built. Miss Thompson gives me this tight little smile and an A plus, and Moriarty tells everyone that Nora Moldoff is teacher's pet. So, uh, okay, in the schoolyard, Miss Thompson nods at me. I'm jumping rope with Judy Goldman and Karina McNulty, and Miss T is walking from the sixth-grade portable to the main building. She wears the same gray suit to school every day with a different blouse. Her bright yellow hair is pulled back in a knot. Karina snaps the rope and trips Judy. Bet you anything she bleaches it, she says. Big deal if she does, Judy sniffs. Her hair is a black frizz that she plans to dye blonde and straighten when she's old enough. Miss Thompson's eyebrows and eyelashes are blonde, too, I point out. Can she dye those, too? Karina thinks about it. She twists one long, skinny braid around her finger. Her hair is waist-length, and sometimes she chews on the ends. Her mother lets her keep pet mice in a mushroom farm under her bed. Karina has an inventive mind. Oh, here's the mirrors. The next day, she brings five small pocket mirrors to school to balance on the toes of five kids who will then be able to look up Miss Thompson's skirt and find out if her hair is bleached or not. Shall I go on? Well, <laughs> I think it's interesting they decide not to ask any of the boys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they would, that would, they would uh, give it away. Right. Because they couldn't handle it. The... Except for Marvin. 
Well, Marvin, there's always an exception. Yeah, Yeah. he's he's kind of wimpy. Um, And then um, Nora tosses in her bed all night thinking, God, should I do this or not? Right, right. Oh, the difficulties of being that age. Miss Thompson is an ogre. Canada stands up to the crown when she goes. Right. You like seeing these again, don't you? Revisiting. Yeah, I, I don't look at them very often. They're just, you know. Yeah, on the shelf. On a shelf somewhere. I'm move, moving on to other things. but Right. Some of these I like better than others. So what's your favorite piece? Mm. Or is there such a thing? Oh, I don't know. I like different ones for different reasons. That's fair. And um, some of them I worked really long and hard on. The um, The Luckiest Man Alive. Second from the last story mm-hmm, that's set, mm-hmm. set in Germany. Yeah. I, I must have. I once had a draft of that that was sixty pages long. Wow! You know, and, and it sat in a, right. It sat in a drawer for years, and then I pulled it out and I, I wrote it almost. You know, it's a long flash, and then I added back onto it, and, and it finally. And I, when I thought it was totally right, and I sent it, and I got accepted by the Somerset Review, that editor. Even after that, suggested I yank so, out one yeah. more paragraph yeah. of backstory, and he was totally right. Mm-hmm. It was much better with it gone. So, did you learn to write this way in school, or is this just something you developed on your own? I always ask these questions because mm-hmm. we yeah. have a lot of writers who listen right. I did have uh, when I was in college. There were two creative writing classes. I took them both. Uh, that uh, I, I don't think I'd learned. Uh, a lot about you actually writing, and what the the book the the most the, the best thing that that teacher Lester Gorin said was, if you want to be a writer, write. <laughs> Just put your head down and do it, or put your butt in the chair. Put your I butt heard, in the yeah. chair. Unfortunately, I did I did not follow his his advice as closely as I should have. I went out and lived my life, and I was over forty before I really buckled down. So, as you traveled across uh, the United States and Europe, and this. Uh, camper van and with your thumb. <clears throat> Did you keep a journal? Yes. Um, there, there are journals from the 70s that I, I still have. Mm-hmm. You mine them for material? Some, I look, yes and no. I mean, I look uh, and think, yes, I do. I, I, you know, I, I, I pull out some details now and then. Sometimes that works. There's not as much in there as I wish there were, you know. You remember it more vividly than it's written down on the page? I like to invent. Oh, yeah. That's the most fun about um, about writing for me when I can. Um, actually, I think some of the stories I enjoy writing the most are the ones that are almost totally invented. Perhaps the only trace of anything in my life might be uh, a character. Somebody I know. Somebody inspired I know, I, it. Right, somebody right. I know, and then I put right. them in this impo- you know, unlikely situation. Well, the story about the chicken farmer, for example. Huh. Mm-hmm. So, it, I find I'm I'm fascinated to talk to a short story writer hmm. because um, I don't write in that form well, and I don't write in that form well. <laughs> well <laughs> the novel, I'm yeah, I'm, it's I'm a different bewildered. It's, by um, yeah. That started out as two short stories, so no kidding. But nobody liked them as short stories because they wanted to know more. Same thing you had. We need a backstory. Yeah, yeah. People do say that to me sometimes. They they read a story that's been published. Somebody liked it, and Mm -hmm. they'll say, "Well, what happened after that?" And I say, "Well, use your imagination." So, are you one of these people I see? You know, like Snoopy, who's constantly submitting. 
Is uh, dark and stormy <laughs> night and getting rejections? So. Oh, sure. Oh, lots, sure. Lots of rejections. I have a big spreadsheet with all the rejections. And then, oh, and then, dear. You know, the, the, the plan is that you, you, know, you send something out 20 times. Mm-hmm. I want to thank my friend and fellow writer, Marco Fong, for suggesting this to me. You send something out enough times, um, someone's going to take it somewhere. There's right. a niche, niche for it, unless, unless it's got a lot of problems, and that means you need to go back and work on it some more. So you had several, as I noticed, that were done by the same uh, literary review picked up, but uh, most of them are have nothing to do with each other. You're just it's just the editor at the time. They decide they like your piece. I guess, yeah. yeah. You have no secrets you can convey to all the people out there waiting for it, writing it down. For you know, for, for how to for get, get for how to get published. How to get published, yeah. Persistence Persist. and, and um, you know, just work at your craft. Make, mm-hmm. sure, make sure that uh, you don't have any doubts about a story. Well, you have some wonderful lines. I mean, there are just pearls, you know, diamonds on the page. You know thank, that, I hope. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I do and uh, know that they're in there, and um, I wish they would come to me more frequently. Well, what's nice wonderful. is they're not everywhere, you know, because mm-hmm. that can become. Yeah, that would be cloying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but all of a sudden, you're reading along, and it's a, Pretty simple, ordinary story about a little mm-hmm. girl, and then, boom, mm-hmm. she's describing something, and mm-hmm. the colors, and the smells, and mm-hmm. the, you know, whatever the experience was. Right. Yeah, and you're there too. Yeah. That's a great gift. It's uh, well, it's like uh, you you're waiting for the muse to descend, and yeah. I'm working on a longer form right now. Actually, I'm tr- I'm struggling to finish a novella, mm-hmm. and it's so it. It's so different, and I have to I have to think about that. I don't think there's very many of those moments or any at all because I'm just trying to patch this long, lumbering thing together, and I figure when I'm finally done with it, uh, I'll put it aside, and then I'll right. go back and yank things out, put things in. But where are those inspired moments? I'm not sure they're there. My first uh, guests on the show, and this is back in 2007, where Gene Hagland and Greg Saris and Greg's oh. novel he calls it mm-hmm. is actually a collection of short stories. They're linked, which, yeah. And so I was wondering if you couldn't do that as a shortcut and take the Norris stories and put them together, and then you'd be two thirds of a book would be done. Right. That's what Alice Munro did in her yeah. so-called novel, yeah. which is not really a novel. No. <laughs> well, just, we can you know but we can, you can call do it creative, that. sure. Yeah. Right. Well. Yeah. There were, I didn't have enough. Well, I could have had more Nora stories. I actually changed the um, the name of the uh, protagonist in several stories when to something like else Nora. because yeah. they, uh, you you would probably recognize I them. Did. But it's just a different situation. She has two sisters instead of three sisters. And that was my big change from real life. Yeah, right. So I yeah. made that in somebody else. How was uh, your father? He comes across as a uh, pretty. Uh, Tower kind of individual or oh, door, yeah. however they say that. In that story, well, there's other. Um, he seems he could, much more likable in other stories. Yes, he yes. could. He could. He 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 could be very very funny. Except he for was, the last one. Ex- well, yeah. yeah, that's true. Poker playing. Uh, scene. Yeah. yeah. He um he had um he, he might have been uh, bipolar. I don't know. He could mm. be either. Hilariously funny and wonderful to be with, or just angry and withdrawn. And mm-hmm. he, was, he was a difficult man, and I loved him very much. Uh, my mother was a my mother. My mother passed away um, just uh, last year. Mm. Um, 
maybe the same month that the book was published, actually. Did she get to see she it? She got to see it, but she oh. couldn't at that point really yeah, yeah. read it, and she had dementia. But she was the sweetest, sweetest woman. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice I mean, to have someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I write a lot about them, but I've done that. That's this book, you know. So would you jump into your travels with Charlie across the states and your and Europe and what was the name of you must have had a name for your uh, camper van oh yeah well, funny that you say that I've not named anything uh, any vehicle anything since then uh, that was called Hilda uh, why are they always female um, then we had a car called Herman uh-huh. you see so we had Hilda and Herman um, beats the heck out of me it was a it was a converted Volkswagen uh, mm-hmm. van and so Hilda and Herman, I see a Germanic influence there. Ah, uh, yes. Um, uh, well, I did live in uh, I did live in Germany. For, Be specific. Uh, Where are we in, in this? Car- Car- I lived in Karlsruhe, but at the point when I was traveling around in Hilda with Zachary, uh, we were just we were just everywhere in Europe. He had been stationed in um, Kaiserslautern and during the Vietnam era. Ah. you see, and he spoke he spoke some German. I had I had some German from college. And um, we we had a, we had a really good time in in Germany. Actually, we met some um, we met some people who are still my friends to this day. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to picture this, but is it a Volkswagen camper van? Yeah, it was not. Um, it was a converted uh, oh. Volkswagen van that it, people had made into so a makeshift kind of camper. What was color pretty, was this? Wow. Golly. Why do I see orange? I don't think so. No? I don't. I don't remember orange. You'd remember orange. I would remember that. I was some neutral color. Uh-huh. I, I honestly can't recall. It was not. You know, it was not something that would call it attention to ourselves. We didn't want to do that. No. Crossing borders and such. Yeah, you. you it wasn't the you know, EU, so you had to right. go through each one with the, somebody being officious. And they were. <laughs> The worst were the French, as I recall. They actually stopped us 20 miles from the border, the French border patrol. We weren't even at the border because mm-hmm. we looked suspicious. We Coming hip- in from hippies. Germany? I think we were on our – I can't remember. We might have been on our German? way to Germany. Oh. We weren't, you know. You just look suspicious. One of those hippies. Hippies, you know, yeah. Right. So they stopped us and searched the van. We, we weren't carrying anything contraband. That's good. So you don't have any of those horrible stories about being in prison and all that stuff. So no. I can't write about that. No, no. So you wanted to share with us the story that was uh, said in Sonoma County because that's a distinctly different uh, part and parcel of this book. It is because it's set in a, a retirement community in Sonoma County. Well, um, somewhere in Sonoma County. And um, here are all these... Um, Senior citizens disporting themselves and having uh, breaking each other's hearts and carrying on. I don't know. Um, let's see, where is it? Is this first person observation? Did you visit people? And- I lived in such a community oh, with you my did? mother, you uh, see, for 15 uh, years. Boy, I don't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. And I can't find it. Where okay. is it? Is mm-hmm. it oh, art class at Harmony Villa. Right. Art class, yes. Right. And this is about. Um, there's a... Is this in Petaluma? Yeah. Yeah. 
One beside the road as you're going to uh, the... Wait, am I supposed to say? No, that's all right. I know probably which one it is. Right, because anyway, you know, this is... It's a fiction, as I say, and and this is about a a man who moves into the retirement community who's a a widower, recent widower, and and he's an artist, and all, all the ladies there are interested in him mm-hmm. right there you know there are always well, fewer men than women in these yeah. communities my dad lived to be 104 wow and, and uh, my mom died at 89 oh. so he had a lot of years oh. of yeah I being a very did. attractive looking still had his faculties oh that's wonderful and um yeah they just they swarmed him they swarmed <laughs> they he was in a group called wow widows oh my God. and widowers uh-huh. yeah have you written about him? Oh yeah, this this new book is all about him. Oh, I want to read that. He's only sixteen in this book. Okay, this is from uh, this is a short selection from art class at Harmony Villa. The art class met every Wednesday morning at two long tables set up end to end under the skylight in the Harmony Villa community room. Other residents sat nearby at smaller tables, playing cards, gossiping, and complaining about their arthritis and bad knees. And sometimes they turned the big TV on for news or a football game, or someone might play a CD on the boombox, anything from Benny Goodman to Elton John. Leon flipped tiny switches on the hearing aids he wore in each ear to tune out noise. He walked around the tables, inspecting our work and offering critiques. I could never resist another smudge of mustard yellow, dash of indigo. Leave it alone, Kate, he told me. It's finished. You mess with it, you'll ruin it. Gloria put down her brush. Good work, Leon approved with a pat on the back, and she all but purred. Gloria and I volunteered at the hospital across the street. She worked the greeting station, and I was in the gift shop a few yards away. When it wasn't busy, I'd step into the lobby so we could talk. Leon's paintings are in galleries everywhere, she told me. San Francisco, New York, L.A., we're really lucky he's living here. He's such a darling man, isn't he? She was convinced Leon was the man for me. He couldn't be grieving his wife forever, and who, she reasoned, would be a better match for him than Kate McGowan. You're from Brooklyn, so you speak the same lingo, and you read the New Yorker. He's adorable, and you're still a looker. There's no there there, I stage whispered. Silence. No electricity. Oh, that will come. You just think about it. I wondered about Leon after that. Could I conceivably be attracted to him, or he to me? When he leaned over to examine my painting, I smelled pipe tobacco and soap and felt the heat from his body. I noticed the gray and black hair curling on his forearms and springing up out of his unbuttoned shirt. I had always liked hairy men. Like my ex, the love of my life, whose chest was a silky rug, I would pillow my cheek on that big hairball and look where it got me. So, uh, males in this book. Mm-hmm. I have to ask this question since I'm one right. of them. Uh, not in the book, but no, in the generic sense. No. Well, yeah, who knows? <laughs> There's a strange radio interviewer who... <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I got a story about him. Yeah. There are a couple of stories from the point of view, uh, male point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But most of them, the men don't come off very well. Mm. Mm. Johnny... I like Johnny. You like Johnny? Yeah. Okay. So you think they don't? Oh, that's... Convince me. Um, well... I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Uh, um, Johnny 
is Lucky Lady. I I, I think he's uh, an engaging character. He's he feels uh, burdened by the two women in his life. Mm-hmm. That that's a long story with three points of view, which I don't. I know you're not supposed to do it in a short story, but it's a long story. So you don't think? Uh, did you read that one? Is Johnny? Mm-hmm. You don't think he comes off that well? He's well. He's conflicted. He's conflicted. Oh, everyone in this book yeah. is conflicted. I would say. So um, depending on the point of view of the woman who's interacting with him, right? That's the question. Yeah. yeah. To to one of them, he's he's somebody who she can change. Maybe. Right. Would you be talking about the mother mm. or the yeah, girlfriend? Yeah, the mother. The mother. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not too late. Mm. Never give up. Yeah, you could be right about that. I'm just, I'm just skimming down. Pluto's cave. Oh. Now, Pluto's cave. That's like ninety-five percent invented. That story. That was a, sprung out of an anecdote that a friend told me and mm-hmm. wandered far afield. And I like the. Uh, I think he's a dear man, um, the uh, the male in that one. Though we never see his point of view, he's just he's just seen from the point of view of the women in the story. He's a, he's a good man. He's conflicted too. That's right. Well, <laughs> aren't we all right? You're right. He's, he has an invalid wife, and he's apparently messing around. I didn't think but, there was apparently in there at all. No, he he, he, he is. He is. Yeah, yeah he is. So. Um, what I'm hearing and what I want our listeners to do now, now that we've titillated them with all mm. sorts of little brief bits from different stories, is run out and pick what they don't know up from the bookshelf in Copperfields. That would be grand. Yes. Then they can ask me all kinds of questions. They can because you're going to be at the Copperfields in uh, Montgomery Village on the 28th, 28th February. of February Yeah, at six from 6 to 7. Right. And they stop at 7. They do. They close the store at 7. They close the up. I think that's dreadful. Mm -hmm. I thought people would want to buy books. Right. (laughs) I wonder why they close so early. Anyway. Some kind of contract. Yeah. That's um, an interesting question. I have to think about it. So do you know what you're going to do for the reading? No, I haven't decided. I'm meeting um, next Thursday um, with the the, uh, woman, Janet. Jan Rowley, who's mm-hmm, the uh, mm-hmm. the moderator, yeah. the facilitator, and we'll, we'll talk about it then. Okay. So I, I don't, you know, and, I, and I'm going to go to Patricia's um, event to, right. to see how that works because I haven't been to one of these. And it's probably different every year, I imagine. Yeah. It started out as a book club. Yeah, I know. It's it's different now. It's really just mm. a, you know, you know, the author stands at the front, picks up their book, reads from it, takes questions from the audience, mm-hmm. uh, most of which are... Uh, pretty obvious. Uh, Why did you become a writer? Oh, you know that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, come on. Um, but you know, it's part and parcel of playing the game. Actually, the story, the second story in the book, Cloudland, um, is really about I like how I one. became a writer. Yeah, in a way, like it's that. about the beginning of. Um... In fact, I use a quote from that at the end. Oh, she says you do. Do you want me to to hear? Do you want to hear the, the close? At the end of what? the end of the show. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay, you are listening to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests are Patricia V. Davis, sharing readings from Cooking for Ghost, the first of her mystery trilogy sat on board the HMS Queen Mary, and Joan Ann Rosen with her short story collection, What They Don't Know. 
These two writers are featured in the upcoming collaboration entitled Copperfields Presents Redwood Writers Fiction 2017, which will run, first shut one is on January 24th from 6 to 7 at the Montgomery Village Copperfields Bookstores. Be sure to attend. Our engineer for today's show, who's worked very, very hard, I must say, is Sonia Reddy. Our station manager, who also helped, is Sean Knight. Our radio coordinator is Wendy Nicholson. Our theme music is by Bill Conti. And I am your host, Gil Manser. We invite you to join us for our next Word by Word broadcast from 4 to 5 on Sunday afternoon, February 12th, when our guest will be Joshua Moore with his memoir, Sirens. Joshua's previous bestseller, earned accolades as one of O Magazine's top ten reads, was an editor's choice in the New York Times, and won the Northern California Book Award. I leave you with a quote from Joanne Rosen. The dark hallway between kitchen and grocery store served as a secret place to think the magic words that summoned down our golden pots. We pretended to sit on them and float up the stairs and along the upstairs hall to our parents' bedroom, which we made believe was cotton candy cloud land.